Good evening. You're very welcome along to the History Show here on KCLR. I'm John Moynihan. Thanks for joining me once again this week as we take a look to Kilkenny's past. Coming up on tonight's show. Retired Commandant at James Stevens Barracks, Larry Scallon, recounts the guided tour of Kilkenny that he gave as part of Heritage Week 2023, telling the story of Kilkenny 100 years ago. Local historian Owen Swithin Walsh gives us an in-depth guide through the calendar year of 1923, as the Irish Civil War came to its conclusion, what was happening nationally and locally here in Kilkenny. And Richard Walsh, the Secretary of Tullahocht Community Development, tells us about the famine memorial that was recently unveiled in the village, as well as taking a look at the effect that the famine had across County Kilkenny. So all of that, plus plenty more besides, over the course of the next hour, I do hope that you can stay with me. As always, I'd love your thoughts and interaction throughout the programme, so please do get in touch. You can text me on the dinnersready.ie sponsored KCLR text and WhatsApp line on 083-306-9696, or you can email the programme at thehistoryshow at kclr96fm.com. Our webpage and podcast for Season 2 of the programme is up and running. You can access it at kclr96fm.com slash the hyphen history hyphen show. So you can listen back to the programme there or on the KCLR app. And this week's show will be uploaded there later this evening if you want to have another listen. First, let's set our sights this evening on James Stevens Barracks. Its retired commandant, Larry Scallon, is no stranger to the programme and he's no stranger to contributing to the historical life of the city and county either. During Heritage Week, Larry conducted a walking tour of a number of Kilkenny City's streetscapes, telling the story of the county 100 years ago. Larry explained more about the tour to me recently. The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. I designed during the year uh, a walking tour uh, that I wanted to reflect uh, and tell the stories of Kilkenny in 1923, which, you know, was, as we know, 100 years ago. It's the last year in our decade of centenaries. And I felt that the best way for me to uh, tell the stories of both sides of the Civil War within the context of County Kilkenny was to conduct a walking tour where we would visit a number of sites within the city streetscapes which were relevant and prevalent to the period at that time. And we were able to reconnect with our lost history and heritage uh, just by talking and interacting with the large numbers of people that attended most evenings. And uh, uh, everybody, I think, enjoyed the experience and visited sites and locations in our lovely city, which, even though they were locals to the city, hadn't visited them themselves ever before. How did you choose the various stops on the tour, Larry, in terms of trying to contextualise various aspects of local history for your audience? Yeah, that's a good question, John. I, I I set the context outside the Home Rule Club each evening, and I picked the Home Rule Club because it is one of the key key locations within our cityscape uh, that you know it, it, it's called the Home Rule Club, the Irish Parliamentary Party, where the genesis of the initial, what would you say, uh, uh, the democratic or or political attempts to gain Irish Home Rule or a form of independence. Uh, and uh, having set it there and talking about uh, the you know the political the revolution that was happening in the background with the Irish Republican Brotherhood and the eventual founding of the Irish Volunteers and being able to connect all those s- seminal events with local stories 
set the context uh, for us to leave that area and move over towards the Canal Square, where we were able to talk about, you know, uh, in 2011, uh, the then mayor, John Fitzgerald, uh, unveiled a lovely little stone there, which commemorates all Kilkenny citizens who died in past wars. Uh, and I used that then as an anchor to talk about, you know, World War One, the 1916 rise and the War of Independence, and how then we ended up this time 100 years ago in the middle of a contentious civil war. So, uh, and that helped people to understand the background. And then by the time we got up to the cloche then, uh, which is where uh, in the last year, uh, a tricolor has been raised and is permanently flown in order to honor those Kilkenny women and men who who either gave their lives or gave gave part of their lives uh, uh, in order to advance the cause of Irish independence. And of course, the fantastic historical resource that is the James Stevens Barracks, that was very much part of Heritage Week too. Every evening that we were there, I read out the role of honour of 42 men who either died within the boundaries of County Kilkenny or who were Kilkenny men who died outside of Kilkenny County during the Civil War. And uh, one of the evenings that we were there, uh, I was met by a lady and she says to me, you know, I have an ancestor who I believe is buried in Roxas Cemetery because there already is a Sergeant O'Gorman buried there and we visited his grave every night. Uh, and uh, she said his name was Michael Welch. And uh, we were able to uh, do some research for her. And by the time we were having our last walk and tour, I knew that he had been mortally wounded uh, in Waterford uh, on the 28th of November, 1923. And he had died in St. Brickens Hospital in Dublin. Uh, and therefore, his history probably wasn't connected directly with Kenny because he was wounded in Waterford and died in, in, in Dublin. But he was from Kenny's well. Uh, in our city and he's buried in Roxas Cemetery uh, and was back then in, in 1923 but unfortunately he has no headstone and there was one other little story that we were able to bring to the fore as a result of Heritage Week but uh, you're right uh, we, I also linked up or, or married that sort of event with uh, an opening uh, time in the James Stevens Barracks Museum myself and the, uh, the curator over there Private uh, Jim O'Keefe we uh, opened the museum every day of during the week uh, around just before lunch and we were inundated with visits. It was absolutely brilliant this year, to be honest with you. You were telling me off air also, Larry, that children played a big part in the various aspects of the events that you were involved in during Heritage Week. There was a lot of uh, you know, schools that were having summer camps uh, uh, that used a visit to the barracks, uh, used Heritage Week to gain access and have a visit to the barracks. I, I, no, solely to visit the museum and the other couple of historical areas that we have, like the old detention barracks and the, the exercise yard where the Civil War executions happened. Uh, and uh, we, we made really good use of that. I think we had four schools or four couple of special needs schools and other schools that were having their summer camps and they... They had really good, really excellent visits because we had time to give them, and uh, we it was it was a uh, you know a pro it was a nice way for them to pass their days as well or to 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 add value to their 
summer camps. I put it that way. Yeah. We were talking earlier about James Stevens Barracks. How do you bring this fantastic resource in the city to the people? Uh, even though I'm retired, I still uh, maintain the role of as an assistant curator in James Stevens Barracks Museum, and uh, it has always been a way for the the defence forces to. I suppose lower the walls of the barrack. The, the walls around the barracks are twelve foot high, uh, but events like Heritage Week allow you to give access to the community to what is normally a working space. Now the museum is is you know always available for visits by appointment, uh, but uh, it's nice to have the door open and walk-ins like you can just walk off the street and walk into the barracks uh, to visit the museum. Uh, and we had I, I don't know nearly 200 people over the five days visited the museum. Uh, it was very busy, but very, very rewarding. And, uh, you know, uh, I suppose we have culture night coming up at the end of this week uh, and, and the barracks, the museum will be open. We're going to do a culture night event. And there's a couple of other things uh, in, in the pipeline for the rest of the year. So what's next for you, Larry? What historical projects are you currently working on? Well, as I mentioned about... Sergeant Michael Welch, I now intend to conduct, uh, or at least I hope to conduct, a small ceremony on the centenary of his burial in uh, Roxas Cemetery. And if we can find where, well, I can't find the headstone. I've looked for it a lot, but we might put up some, even a timber uh, grave marker to indicate that he's buried within that cemetery. And that would give us an opportunity then to maybe for the last time this year, read out the role of honour of all the Kilkenny men and the men who died in Kilkenny and then not forgetting all the women of coming them on who sacrificed all their time and, and freedoms in many cases and their normal lives in order to advance the cause of an independent Ireland. And uh, as we are coming really to the close of uh, 2023, which sees the end of our decade of centenaries, it might be uh, nice for people to come and attend and, and even listen and participate in that little ceremony. Finally, Larry, it's a big year for the 3rd Battalion. I'm hoping you'll come back on the programme to explain more later in the series. Yeah, I would. I'd love to. It's, it's this year, well, in January this year, we commemorated and, and, and recorded the 100th birthday of the 3rd Battalion. It's the oldest Inventory Battalion and the Irish Defence Forces. And uh, uh, we actually opened a new annex, a new room in the museum to tell the story of the Bloods, uh, the Bloods being the nickname of the battalion and their history and heritage for the last hundred years. So I'd, I'd love to come back on again. A big thank you to Larry Scallon for coming on the programme and explaining more about his historical Kilkenny Streetscapes tour and we look forward to hearing more from Larry again later in the series. Okay, it's time for a break now on the programme but do stay tuned because after that I'll be speaking to local historian Owen Swithin Walsh about the end of the Irish Civil War in Kilkenny. Looking back in time, the history show on KCLOR, funded through the Creative Ireland programme at the Kilkenny County Council Heritage Office, which is supported by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwiltoch, Sports and Media. You're listening to the history show on KCLOR with John Moynihan. You're very welcome back to the programme. Now, as we look back to 100 years ago, and as a new year dawned in 1923, 
Kilkenny and Ireland as a whole continue to find itself in a volatile, precarious situation. As the end of the civil war beckoned ever closer, what was happening locally and nationally? To hear more about this, we're going to hear from local historian and writer of the book Kilkenny in Times of Revolution, 1900-1923, Owen Swithin Walsh. In the first of two parts, Owen is going to take a sequential look back at 1923, starting tonight in January and running right up to the general election held later that year. Wednesday nights from 6, this is KCLR's History Show. Both in Ireland and Kilkenny, uh, things weren't great. Things weren't looking that good at all. If you think, and 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 I know you said it there, it's the last few months of the civil war, which is true, and we know that looking back. But as I always say, in the first of January, you know, when people were, I doubt too many people were singing all anxiety and all that. But if if they were, they they looked like no end was in sight. Like it, they didn't look like oh, there's only four months of this war left. In fact, it actually got worse in the first few months of 1923. So, just to, and so I would say atmosphere, both Kilkenny and nationally, bleak would be the way I describe it. And there's no other way of looking at it. On the 1st of January sec, uh, into, into 1923, you're just a few days after two guys have been executed in, in Kilkenny prison. Basically, you know, Irish uh, Free State guys having to shoot two local Kilkenny men. Phelan and Murphy, which we talked about last year, but that would have been a horrendous uh, thing for people locally to see and hear, and would have affected a lot of families. You get into January then, and just I was making the point that it was very bad in the first few months. And actually, if you think about it, in the final months of the civil war in Kilkenny, there was five people killed uh, outside the county from Kilkenny, and then um, overall there was nine people killed inside the county. So you're talking 14 people killed with some kind of Kilkenny connection. And what I mean by that is some Kilkenny people are fighting in the Free State's army. And three of those, I should say, of the dead were prisoners in Kilkenny jail. So just to kind of go through that, um, March 1923, which is just three months into the new year, turned out to be the deadliest month in the whole revolutionary era in Kilkenny. In total, nine people were killed. Just to go through some of them, it like it it was bleak. And I suppose March 1923 is most infamous for Bally CD and all that down in Kerry. Well, it was just it kind of equally as bad was transferred here to Kilkenny. So, for example, on the 9th of March, you had Jared Comfort from Clongrinka in Ballyfoyle. He shot dead. Um, in kind of a pitch battle near Nestig where the Free State trying to flush out the anti-treaty columns that are moving kind of between Mount Brandon Hill and over towards Greg Namana from Nestig and it was a shoes house and Jared Comfort is one of the guys killed uh, there and he's only 23 years old. The very next day in the other end of the county you've got Thomas Mealy of Coolbawn and Comer. Now he's only 19 years old and he was raiding a house in Ballyuskill and what, he, what they were doing there they were raiding the home of Jim Boggy who uh, had a lot of weapons or they knew he had a few guns and um, Thomas Mealy was on the anti-treaty side and they were raiding the house but Jim Buggy was after getting tipped off that these guys were coming so he was well prepared and he shot back at him he had the house all barricaded and he shot back at him and he killed um, Thomas Mealy in the process very tragic and he would have been well known his brother was the leader of the IRA in Castlecomer um, one, of the, one, of the, one of the companies during the War of Independence 
and then if you kind of keep going with that and I kind of missed out there on the 6th of March Richard Duggan who's from Scarton Mundavas he's accidentally shot in Waterford City he was coming off the night shift and he was given handing in his gun because he was going to bed and when he handed in the gun the other guy picked it up but it went off and accidentally shot him um, on the 14th of March then with keeping up with the Waterford connection uh, Sean or John Welch of Kilmac Thomas he was in jail in Kilkenny jail he had a row with the warden because he wouldn't give his name and he has to do a roll call every night in the jail and they had kind of gone into fisticuffs don't exactly know what happened but John Welch was shot uh, dead in Kilkenny jail by the warden and that caused a huge outcry because he was well known he'd fought in the flying column in Waterford in the War of Independence era and the fact he was killed inside Kilkenny jail uh, because he wouldn't give his name um, you know really kind of put a bad spotlight on the authorities there um, kind of you know d- defenseless um, on the 15th of March then 1923 another kind of poor young guy his name was Michael Brown he's only 21 years old and he's originally from County Leash but he was raiding homes with the Free State Army which he was in and they were looking for this kind of party of IRA who had been staying overnight in kind of a hay barn or outhouses of a house near Wine Gap Village. And when they came out of his house, the guys shot out the, shot out the door and they hopped out the back window. But they killed uh, Michael in the process. I suppose one of the most infamous killings in relation to Kilkenny people happened on the 24th of March 1923. There was these two free state soldiers down in County Wexford. Their names were Edward Gorman, who was only age 23 and from the city, and Patrick Horn, who was from Callan, and he was just 25. And they were down in Wexford in the Free State Army protecting a rail line. Now, anyway, they went to a, a pub in Palace East just after their shift had finished. But they were uh, local anti treaty guys were tipped off that the Free State soldiers were in there in civilian uniform. They captured them and they captured another guy from Dublin. And they were summarily executed and their bodies were, were found in Adamstown the following morning. And that was in retaliation of three um, anti-treaty prisoners being shot in Wexford prison, being executed in Wexford jail. Um, so it was total tip for task reprisal, counter reprisal. So as you can see from that, it looked like no end was in sight. It's very bleak. Um, nobody knows where the civil war is going to end. And I suppose the civil war can drag on because when you have um, okay, you have lots of free state and they have kind of all the, the machinery of the state behind them in relation to guns and ammo and stuff but all you need is a few guys that are on the run that are kind of causing trouble um, you know um, you only need a handful of people to keep it going in the, when you're fighting a guerrilla war in February and March we some of the major big house and what I like to call the small house burnings in Kilkenny two big houses burned to a, a just one nice part in Dysart Hall, just near Cups Grange, and also Besborough House in Pilltown. And these were done over the 22nd to 23rd of February 1923. Now, the Dysart Hall home was burnt because one of the senators in the new free state was Lady Dysart, who people would know because she was very philanthropic in Kilkenny and she gave a lot of money to certain causes in Kilkenny because even though she wasn't living in that home, that was the home she would have had when she, when her and Lee's husband was and herself were Earl and Lady of Dysart. It was her brother-in-law that would have uh, lived in that home. But anyway, the home was burnt because of that. Um, it was later rebuilt uh, but, I mean, and knocked down again in the 1950s. But then in the next night, Besborough House was burnt down in Pilltown. Uh, that was later rebuilt and it's now Kildalton College. People don't know that's the agricultural college. But uh, I'm not 100% sure why Besborough was burnt. It wasn't on any hit list by the anti-treaty IRA because there was no connection to the, you know, the new Free State Parliament in any way. I put it in my book that I believe it's the 
the free state burnt it down because the anti treaty used to stay there but the free state always make out with the anti treaty that burnt it down either way the house burned down uh so that was huge because it caused a huge amount of destruction and the big thing it meant was a huge amount of compensation would have to be paid out by the free state to the owners the big landlord owners of these homes and it was uh the art hall nearly cost a million euro to the uh, basically the irish taxpayer and Bezborough was nearly three million euro in today's money that was paid out to rebuild that home but that set up a chain of events which led to what i call small house burnings and these all started off in march with the burning of the home of the Tehans and the minogues near kilmana there the Tehans, of course were kind of famous in the war of independence because the shipton house had been used by the IRA during the war of independence. They're big supporters of the movement, both the girls in coming them on, uh, the, the females of the Tian family, and the men in the IRA, or a good few of the men in the IRA. Now, what happened the night before, Eamon de Valera had been traveling down to go to a meeting in Tipperary or Warford, and he'd stayed overnight in the Tians on the way, and they brought him on uh, further. So obviously someone spotted him, or obviously the feast that were following, following. Um, in, in pursuit because the Tian home was burnt down and the nogues would have been their friends and who would help them put up people uh, over the months and years. So those homes were burnt down. In retaliation for that, just two weeks later, on Easter Sunday into Easter Monday nights, the homes of James Welch in Temple Orm was burnt down. Now he was a Kenny County Councillor and was very, very vocal against the anti-treaty IRA. His business, his home, his bakery, his shop was all burnt down in retaliation for basically his outspokenness but also the kind of support the Tehans who had lost everything in uh, their side of Kilkenny. Just a day or two later then Port Scully Mill was burnt down by Free State forces in disguise and Port Scully Mill was even though it was only occupied by women it was the home of Jack Nicola Welch who was the leader of the anti-treaty IRA down kind of in Munkine, Sleeveru, Kilmacow, that area. So again it was tit for tat one kind of led to a chain and a kind of a chain reaction of one burning the other. I suppose from the free state side, it kind of looked, I suppose, from their point of view, it kind of looked bad in that they would always be in disguise. They wouldn't be wearing their free state uniform. They're meant to be the army of the country. So they kind of followed the reprisal thing, which, which is kind of, you know, initiated by the black and tans. So that's what the anti-treaty and the pro-treaty uh, free state IRA ended up doing, uh, unfortunately. So that's civil war. Um, and then, and I suppose just not just to mention as well, one of the things that a lot of people will, rem if they gave us a memory or we have some recollections of people that lived through the Civil War, of people that weren't involved in the fighting, one of the things they often come up with or they remember is the, the turmoil on the trains, right? This was the constant digging up, blowing up of railway bridges, digging up of railway tracks and actually derailing trains and having them kind of blow up and explode and it happened all over Kilkenny. At the time we're talking about here in February and March, there was an outcry because uh, Goran had been cut off by the rail network for uh, two months at this stage. So the train line going up towards Dublin was gone. There was the train line going between Goran and Kilkenny, but they, um, you know, there was no need for it. But it really affected the businesses because even the likes of shipping out the flour, the grain, um, getting supplies into shops, all that was done by rail lorries or trucks that we now know are vans weren't the most common form of transport so even if you never traveled on the train in your life you were discommoded because all your daily newspapers traveled by train as well and not every second day there was some attack on the rail network um, and it was the anti-treaty attacking it to really annoy um the free state uh, and also to stop the movement of troops and supplies so the, the 
the attack on the rail lines or the attack on the trains. And I think the kind of south of Kilkenny uh, bore the biggest brunt of it. The main kind of line from Kilkenny down to Waterford was always being attacked. Uh, Ballyhale and Thomastown, when the back being the places that it seemed to be always attacked. And that could literally involve cutting the lines, digging the tracks, but also on some occasions uh, raiding the train for supplies for the anti-treaty forces and taking them away. Uh, also, there was a time in Ballyhale where grenades were thrown into the carriage because there was free state soldiers mixed in with the civilians and they had to throw the grenades out the window really quickly um, so they would explode and kill everyone. Uh, so uh, all this was going on from the anti-treaty perspective. It probably, you know, if you're some anti-treaty young lad around the country, you mightn't, you mightn't have a gun, you mightn't be able to go off and fight in a flying column, but you can attack the rail networks kind of at your own leisure in the rural areas and you kind of can it's your way of contributing to the cause and then after that the actual railway stations start to be burned down from like from the from Bellis Bridge to you know Grange and Monkind to the down railway station they all were burnt down at separate times over these few months um again to kind of discommode and annoy the free state government and the free state authorities so it's it's all happening you know it's it's not a slow wind down winds down of the civil war uh, none of us is great to say the very least. Now we get then, I suppose, to April 1923, and this is really when the civil war kind of first, the first murmurings of it coming to an end happen. And the meeting that actually is kind of Kilkenny connection slightly, even though it's Tipperary, the meeting that kind of basically ends the civil war, or puts in train the end of the civil war, happens in just over the border in Mullinahone and Pellacapel, but it's the Mullinahone. Um, uh, IRA are part of the Callan Brigade and the Egan family are these big fighters in Callan and they have a they have a kind of a hideout built into their hay barn in their house it was really a kind of fantastic optical illusion where if you walked all around it you'd never know it was built into the wall and it was really well hidden and it was known as Kathmandu and it's where the leadership of the uh, anti-treaty in Ireland met to discuss and vote on the ending of the civil war and what actually happened was the priests they were raiding, they're always raiding Egan's home, but they ended up one time they raided one of the lads at home, Jim Egan, and they gave chase to him during a field, during, through a field. Um, this is kind of in uh, on the 20th of April, and they ended up shooting him in the back, and he died um, pretty quickly. Um, and then as a cover, because his obviously his funeral was going to be huge, and his wake was going to be huge, the anti-treaty leadership came down, Frank Aiken, Tom Barry, all these people, they met in Kathmandu, and they voted to have a ceasefire initially and then that led the following month the 24th of May to the end of the civil war proper it wasn't as total surrender and that was the key to it they didn't surrender they dumped arms um, and that was the idea and um, the free state initially wanted them to hand in their arms or give up but they said it was too much of an ask so they said no and so the dump arm things was a way of kind of saying okay we live to fight another day the civil war comes to that end on the 24th of May and it's it's kind of, I should I should say that, there's no big celebrations, there's no big partying, it's just mentioned in the newspaper. Um, but I suppose everyone was, one on tenderhooks, because you don't know if it's going to kick off again in a few weeks' time, so you don't know that. Uh, I suppose the second thing is, a lot of the families in Kilkenny, they had lots of their young uh, sons or their young daughters in jail. The, the free state policy was to intern, intern, intern people. That was how they were going to break down the anti-treaty IRA. And it kind of worked, to be fair, because it cut down the numbers big time. And at the time, there was nearly 10,000 people in jails or internment camps all over Ireland. But half of them were in the Curragh, um, in basically in, internment camps. Uh, so 
uh, when when it all finished, there wasn't this kind of victory lap. The free state, obviously, they were kind of half bankrupt. You know, they would have been that they had to deal with lots of bad things as well during the civil war. So, and uh, no one was claiming outright victory. I suppose we kind of forget sometimes that the president of the free state, which is basically the Taoiseach of the day, even though they didn't use that word until the 1937 constitution, but the president of the free state was W.T. Cosgrave, and he was the local TD for Kilkenny here. So we kind of forget that a lot. So we had the kind of, you know, Taoiseach in our, in our, uh, in our constituency in Carlow, Kilkenny. And he came down, the only kind of sign that the civil war was kind of anyway ended, was he came down the week after the civil war ended, he made his first appearance in Kilkenny in over a year because he just was so busy or he could be killed if he travelled he never he never came down so he came down and there was this kind of big speech on the parade in Kilkenny but it kind of was the opening salvos of the general election that would be held in August 1923 just because the civil war ended there was a few more fatalities unfortunately and most of these had to do with Kilkenny jail and um, most infamously, James Duffer Morrissey was killed in June 23. So it was one month after the Civil War officially kind of ended. Um, James Duffer Mor Morrissey was uh, big in the IRA movement during the War of Independence. And then he was uh, in the leadership during the Civil War. He was in Kilkenny jail. Uh, he was shot, they said, trying to escape or come down a window. Or either way, he was shot uh, um, uh, in Kilkenny jail. Uh, he was a father of two young children. Um, he, what makes it more controversial is when uh, kind of a war is over, technically, to shoot someone in prison is seen as even more something that happens during a war, if you know what I mean, because technically the civil war is over, but all these people are still in jail and they are, you know, we kind of forget about them. And in fairness to them, and that's what probably James Duffer Morrissey, he's probably right, right, the war is technically everyone's dumped arms. Why the hell are we still in jail? So a lot of people would have been very angry. They were still interned and that would go on for another few months. A massive thank you, as always, to local historian Owen Swithin Walsh there for his ever-encyclopedic knowledge of the events occurring in Kilkenny 100 years ago. Owen will be back with part two of that look back in next week's show, but if you want more information in the meantime, may I highly recommend his book Kilkenny in Times of Revolution, 1900-1923, which was an invaluable resource for me as I carried out my research in the making of this series of programmes. Time for another commercial break now, but do stay tuned because when we come back I'll be speaking to the Secretary of Tullahocht Community Development Limited Richard Walsh who will be telling us more about the famine memorial recently unveiled in the village Talk to you in two You're listening to The History Show on KCLR funded through the Creative Ireland programme at the Kilkenny County Council Heritage Office which is supported by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwiltocht, Sport and Media You're listening to The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan and you're welcome back to part three of the History Show. The Irish famine is considered one of the bleakest and most dark topics of our national history. It's estimated that close to a million deaths occurred throughout the country between 1845 and 1851, either from starvation or hunger-related disease. Locally, according to Kilkenny Archaeological Society, a typical local town such as Castlecomer saw its population fall from 11,245 to just 6,556 as a result of the famine. One local village in County Kilkenny decided to commemorate this important moment in our national heritage by erecting a memorial, which was unveiled just last month. 
To explain more about the memorial, I spoke to the Secretary of Tullahocht Community Development Limited, Richard Walsh. You're listening to The History Show on KCLR with John Moynihan. My son, I loved my native land with energy and pride Till a blight came over all my crops and my sheep and cattle died The rents and taxes were to pay and I could not them redeem And that's the cruel reason I left old Skibbereen The memorial comprises of a famine pot, really, which was used to feed the people back in the time of the famine. So how it came about with us is a local farmer was doing a bit of reclamation work and he unearthed the famine pot and he donated it to the community. So we, we came up with the idea that we create a famine memorial to remember the people that passed before us and how they suffered. We then had to look around for a suitable site and we decided to put it into our local forge, which we had renovated a few years ago. So we we built up a plinth for the famine pot, which looks like basically a fireplace to, that it was sitting on and we have a little false fire in underneath it just to show off, I suppose, how, how it worked at the time and how it, uh, the, the meal and that was cooked in the pot. So you had the famine pot, as you mentioned, Richard. But how did you go about installing it as a memorial? Well, I suppose when we got the pot, we, we just had to do something with it. And this was the, the idea that the community group came up with to, to make a memorial of the pot and to sit it up on the, the fireplace. And and we have it filled with a, a kind of a marker mix that makes it look as if there's porridge or gruel or something being cooked in it, you know. Once the decision was made, then we got active and we, we built up our fireplace and the pot was heavy enough to lift because in a previous life it had been used as a water truck for animals and it was half filled with concrete. So it was a bit of an effort to get it into place on the, fire, on the fireplace and all that, but we got it done and we were meant to unveil it for Heritage Week, uh, for Heritage Week at one of our events. But the evening that was scheduled for it came down, it was a very wet and windy night and we just weren't able to get out to the forge to do the unveiling. So we did have some video clips of the famine memorial recorded and, and we presented those in the community centre and we kind of did a virtual unveiling of the memorial in the community centre. So it is planned in the coming weeks that our local parish priest will bless the memorial on site it's an oft-told story, the vast number of deaths and tales of woe caused as a direct result of the Irish famine. How did we fare in Kilkenny at the time, and indeed in your own local, Tullahocht? Well, I suppose the wider Kilkenny community suffered very badly through the famine areas like Callan and all that, where they have the, the famine graveyard. But our parish of Winegap and, and the village of Tullahocht seem to have escaped relatively unscathed from the famine. I suppose there was a lot of emigration at the time, I suppose people getting away from the poor conditions and that. But we were fortunate out here in that we're very close to the Ormond and Victoria slate quarries down in the valley, which were implying probably 300 people around that time. And I suppose the, the wages coming in from that employment really alleviated a lot of the suffering and the famine that other areas had. 
and there was also a few road schemes run as where workers were employed to, to upgrade or create new roads as famine relief. So that between those things, we seem to have got away very likely. There's actually no recorded deaths from the famine in our area. So I understand, Richard, that as part of Heritage Week, you had an unveiling event of the Famine Memorial in Tullahawkt. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? We had, yeah, we had a busy schedule for that. Now, the, the previous Sunday, we were after running uh, underage GA games for the local club, and they, they played Grange Mokler in Hurling, and they played Mullahone in Camogie. So that was the previous Sunday, but on the Friday night in question, we had scheduled the, the unveiling of the famine pot. We were also going to open a new memorial garden dedicated to the deceased members of our Tidy Towns group. And of course, that had to be done virtually in the hall as well because of the weather. Then in the hall after that, we were showing two films by Kevin Hughes from Wasdock Studios in Kilkenny. Now, why we, we engaged Kevin is because one of the films which he produced for a previous Heritage Week was set out here in Tullahawk where uh, uh, Jackie Brett, who was involved in the Troubles, was shot by accident and he ended up being interred out here in a field of turnips in Tullahawk. So uh, Kevin's film was about that, so we decided to show that on the night, just as local interest. And then Kevin kindly offered us another film to show, entitled Dear Mother, which was set in Kilkenny Jail at the time of the Civil War. Grace has come to us this evening. God is good, so don't worry. I am dying of soldiers. They'll draw to a finish. As it is dark, I can't see what I'm writing. I do hope the news won't cause too much trouble. Cheer up all and keep a brave heart, as you will not help me by worrying. Mind my end so much. Poor Fian leaves a wife and three children. Goodbye, mother, brothers and sisters. With best wishes to all. From your loving son, John. P.S. I am quite satisfied to meet my God. Fall John Murphy. Following that then, we had some local footage which were shot in previous years, back in 2003 and 2007, where it was video footage that was filmed of the opening of another uh, amenity we have out here, the wildlife areas and two wildlife ponds. And the second one then was from the waterside retreat called Cairns's Bridge. So there was a lot of local, local people featured in that and a lot of local interest in it. You mentioned at the outset that in order to undertake certain community projects, such as the restoration of the famine pot, that your Tidy Towns Committee had to become a limited company. Can you explain a little bit more about the logistics of having to take such a move? So it was back around 2000 and we were developing uh, wildlife ponds and following on from that, we developed the Kilmacolver Loop Walk and to draw down funding for those those things, it was a bit easier if you were a, a limited company. So that was we took the decision back then to to become a limited company, just to make life easier for ourselves, I suppose. Finally, Richard, are you involved in any other future projects of a similar nature in Tullahawk or the surrounding areas? Well, I, I'm also involved in another group out here. It's the Lingon Valley Tourism Group. And we're kind of, we're spanning the, the Kilkenny-Tipperary border here 
which is formed by the Lingon River, that group were, were involved in putting up signage for all the local heritage sites and, and promoting the area and trying to kind of bring all the different villages and all the different groups kind of together that were kind of working more co- cohesively between us all. And I suppose it's a bit harder when you're dealing with two counties, but we're, we're getting there and we're making a good bit of progress on that. In Tullahawk here, we're, we're actually looking at a very big project which now may or may not come off, but the, the roof of the church is getting a bit shook and we're looking at seeing could it be re-roofed entirely rather than patching it up every year. Now that will be a big undertaking if we decide to go ahead with it. Richard, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you very much for coming on to The History Show. Thanks very much for having me, John. Oh, Father dear, and I often hear you speak of Aaron's Isle. Her lofty scenes, her valleys green, her mountains rude and wild. They say it is a lovely land wherein a prince might dwell. Then why did you abandon it? Oh, the reason to me tell. A big thank you to Richard Walsh there, Secretary of Tullahawk Community Development Limited, for speaking to us on the programme about the recently erected famine memorial in the village. Time for a break now. I'll talk to you shortly. The History Show on KCLOR, funded through the Creative Ireland programme at the Kilkenny County Council Heritage Office, which is supported by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwiltoch, Sport and Media. That's all from the History Show for this week. I'll be back next Wednesday after the 6 o'clock news. Stay tuned for Own Carey and Fully Loaded. The History Show on KCLOR, funded through the Creative Ireland programme at the Kilkenny County Council Heritage Office, which is supported by the Department of Tourism, Culture, Arts, Gwiltoch, Sport and Media.